Good morning, One Chapel. So great to be with you today. Let's study the scriptures together. Last week, you know, we, we went through Seek First, and uh, we kind of launched the week by talking about this one thing, this one thing that Jesus wants from us, one thing that he desires, a relationship, being with him, engaging with him, giving him everything. And, and we talked about this kind of during the week as we talked about dangerous prayers. And I just want to say thank you so much for praying together during Seek First Week. And this week, I want us to bookend this week with kind of this one thing, part two. I'm going to call this Hungry for Jesus. Because I want to talk about what you and I are really hungry for. But I want to drill down a little bit and talk about it practically practically and what what we're going to do with our lives as we continue to move into 2021. I mean, having a week of prayer and fasting is awesome, but the reason we do that is because we're consecrating the rest of the year. And what we're going to do is we want to make a lifestyle out of making sure that the one thing that's so important in our lives is central to everything that we do. And so the question today is, what are you hungry for. And some of you fasted last week, right? And so you got really hungry. Um, as, as, as we fast, sometimes it, it changes our hunger patterns. It changes what we're hungry for. I have a, a little illustration here uh, today that I want to use because what we eat really matters, right? Um, I've got a healthy bag and I've got an unhealthy bag. I mean, if we look at this, we got, uh, oh, the best cardboard pizza it's so good. Pizza in a box or pizza in plastic. Um, one, of, one of my favorites. I love it. It's so good. Look at this. Oh, this is my favorite cereal of all time. I love this. Crunch berries. It's the best of both worlds because it's Captain, Cap, Captain, Captain Crunch. <laughs> Captain Crunch. And it's got the berries in it. It's so good. I love it. It's terrible for you. It's so much sugar. Here's something really awesome. I love this. <laughs> donuts. Mmm. Like donuts, only smaller. And so that is awesome. We've got stuff like monster drinks, you know, when you just need something. You just need a little extra kick. Like you gotta have a lot of caffeine and a lot of sugar. That is what's going on there. Like, I mean, Doritos. I mean, you know, whatever. Run-of-the-mill, kind of boring, uh, unhealthy food. Um, macaroni and cheese. Now, it's bad enough that it comes in a box, but here it's in a little like round thing that you just add stuff to. Crazy what you can do to eat unhealthy. Let me just, let me just give you a, a coaching tip. Whatever you eat that's in a box, be suspicious of. It ain't good for you. But you look at this bag over here and we got a bunch of, got a bunch of good stuff. You got, you got the apple, you got, you got some fruit, you got some Got some green. Uh, another little tip is good food for you is always brightly colored. The bad food, the boxes are brightly colored. <laughs> in the good food section, in the Whole Foods uh, supermarket, everything is, the food is actually brightly colored. Here you got some almonds, that's so good for us. Different things like here's some really good Amy's organic soup. Mmm, that is so good. Now here's something that's just hard for the green machine, baby. It is good. This is so good for you. It's got so many good things in it for you. Here's, here's an alternative to crunch berries. 
although maybe not quite as tasty, but uh, en <laughs> engine two, plant strong, rips big bull. That has got to taste awful, I'm just telling you. I don't know, I don't know about it. But here's the point, here's the point. You have choices. You can choose, you can choose to eat healthy. You can choose to make sure that your body and what you're eating, what you're taking in is really helping your body, or you can choose the bad stuff. And every day you and I really end up choosing. Lots of people end up choosing food based on fun versus fuel. And it's really bad. I'm one of those people. I love to eat food that's fun. Um, there's nothing better than that. But if you don't see food as fuel and you see it as fun, you're gonna eat the wrong things. A lot of people use food for coping emotionally. Like bad day, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna eat some bad food. Uh, instead, food should be used for healthy living. Others, other people, they don't care actually what they eat. Have you ever met these people? They, don't, they, they can eat anything and yet it doesn't seem to cost them anything. They never gain weight. They, they, they just seem to be fine. They don't feel bad. <laughs> I hate those people, right? Like, like, like that's just so foreign to me, especially as I've gotten older, man, I have to be so careful what I eat. But for most of us, we have to pay attention to what we eat, you know, because we, we want to, right? We've all learned enough about this. Uh, so we go to Central Market or Whole Foods and we spend a lot of money. Uh, we, we, or we order from a company, you know, that's pre-prepared because we're not good at cooking that much anymore, freshly or Blue Apron or whatever. It's to save time, but not money. Um, we do keto diets and ideal protein and any number of specialty diets that you and I have uh, embraced that costs us both time and money. But here's the thing, you ever wonder why there are so many diets? You ever wonder why so many diet plans exist? It's because we fall off the diet wagon is what happens and we need something new to motivate us again. The diet industry, multi-billion dollar industry, here's the, here's the thing, there are different personalities and so different diets really are, are, are attractive to different type of personalities. And so you gotta find the one that really helps, but here's the truth, all diets, all diets end up at the same place. All diets kind of end up at eating right as a lifestyle, eating good things for your body and everything can be eaten, but in moderation. And I think this is our struggle a lot as Americans because when we get busy, when we get busy, what happens? We end up driving through for a burger. When, when we get stressed out, what do we do? We order the pizza. Dial it up, baby. Domino's, I've had a bad day, I've had a hard day. Let me have some Domino's Supreme pizza and some of those Parmesan bread bites. Oh yeah, it's terrible, it's awful. We have holiday events, like we just came through uh, during the season and you're just like, I'll just eat a little bit more, maybe just one more piece of pie. And then you end up in January and you're trying to get it off. The same thing happens to you and me spiritually. And this is really what I wanna talk about today because it doesn't just all happen at once. It actually happens in a very kind of slow and kind of slipping away a little at a time. It's not just one big decision. It's usually a bunch of little decisions 
all put together. And I'll tell you this, as a pastor, every broken marriage that I have counseled, every guy that's been hooked on pornography or every conflict between church members or every person that's been struggling with alcohol, um, they have this in common. They have this thing in common. Somewhere along the way, they stopped spending time with Jesus every day. They stopped including him in their life every day. And they just started to visit. They just started to kind of push Jesus to the margins of their lives. It never happens in one big decision. Typically, this doesn't happen where you turn your back on Jesus. It's a slowly slipping away that drags us off. We stop hungering for God. We start hungering for something else, for other things. Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 4. He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. What a curious statement that he would make to his disciples. Why didn't they know about it? What was he talking about? He said, I have, I have food you know nothing about. And then he followed up. He said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So here's the question for today. What are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? <laughs> I got the answer. I know, I know what you're thinking. Normalcy. Aren't we all hungry for normalcy right now? Like the pandemic, everything has just wrecked our normal lives. And it's, and it's really, the pandemic has really revealed us for who we are. If you were really close to Jesus every day before the pandemic and before the shutdowns and before all that, likely you continued along that path, looking to him for strength and help. If you were not very close to Jesus every day, you likely got further away during the shutdown. Because listen, crisis isn't just something that reveals, right? It's also an accelerator. It also pushes things forward. It speeds up what is already in process. That's what the pandemic has done during the shutdowns and the quarantines and the, and the stay-at-home orders and all that. Work from home was already increasing. It sped up. Oh my gosh, we're probably never going back. Church attendance was already kind of on the slow decline, but the decline increased. Our ability to cope with loneliness as a culture was already pretty bad, but it's gotten worse. So what is the hunger that drives you? What is the hunger that drives you? Money, comfort, accomplishment, right? Uh, entertainment, your career, your possessions, finding a spouse, right? Finding somebody to spend your life. Maybe it's escape. I know a lot of people that have spent a lot of time escaping over the last several months. But you see, there's an essential axiom, a statement we have to understand about ourselves. We crave what we consume. We crave what we consume. In other words, whatever we make a practice of eating, we develop a taste for that thing. We like it more. You eat donuts all the time. You start to love donuts. You eat them very rarely, but you eat good food. You taste a donut, you're like, sugar overload. We're actually wired this way as humans. We're wired to kind of proceed down a path that we've chosen. This is how addictions work. It's just a little bit at first, and before you know it, you're addicted. By the way, 
That's how good habits happen as well. Good habits happen this way. You do it a little bit and then you work on it, work on making good habits. And before you know it, you're really interested in consuming. You're starting to crave the good food. But here's the problem. Whatever we consume is what we become. Whatever we consume is what we become. You ever heard the saying, you are what you eat? It's really true. It's really true, but it's also true spiritually. What are you eating spiritually every day? Are you just snacking every day on spiritual stuff, stuff you see on Instagram, occasionally hearing some big time preacher and a good quote that makes your day? Or are you eating something that's so good for you and you're starting to fill your spiritual life with healthy, solid food that causes you to grow? What do you hunger for more than anybody else? Last week, we talked about this one thing that Jesus identifies. That's identified throughout the scriptures as as people identify the one thing they're really hungry for. And we ended last week's message with this quote. The problem with the one thing is that you have to sacrifice everything else to get it. Everything else for it. And it's true for diets, and it's true for spiritual life. This is our challenge, and I want you to see it today. You want to feel great? You want to look healthy and improve your your cognitive abilities? Eat well. Who want You want to feel lousy, look bloated, and have a foggy mind about 4 p.m.? You eat, you eat crummy food that doesn't sustain you. Of course, we all want the first one, but the question is, are we willing to work for that? Are we willing to do it practically? Are we willing to do tangible things? Are we willing to do measurable things in our lives that will help us to pay the price that's so worth it? Most of the time, we settle, and we end up developing a craving for donuts and burgers and pizza. The Apostle Paul is addressing this kind of spiritual food issue when he challenges the Colossian believers in Colossians 3.1. And they lived in a culture that was a lot like ours, a lot of ways to get distracted, a lot of ideas about spirituality, a lot of ways to fill your heart and mind. Here's what he he said to them. He says in in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Listen, I want you to break down this verse a little bit. You and I have to embrace the resurrected life that Jesus has for us, a life full of power. And and Paul is saying, you gotta set your heart on what's above on what God is interested in. You gotta set your mind on things above. You gotta realize that Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's making intercession for you and me. And you gotta embrace this idea that he's for you and he's with you. And you gotta begin to set your mind on what he wants, not on what you want, not on the earthly things. I want you to notice verse three, particularly he says, for you died. You died. You got rid of your old life. And now, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And 
I think this is such a profound little statement. We find our, our life in Jesus. We find our life in Christ. It's hidden. Looks the same to everybody else, but inside, it's hidden with Christ. It's not always obvious, like in, in, a, in a, just looking at the outside of a person, but there's some hidden secret life with God that you cultivate, that feeds you, that nourishes you, that sustains you. We see this very idea in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about cultivating a hidden life, a secret life with him, with God. Matthew 6, 1 through 16. I'm just going to read little portions of it. If you'll read it with me, Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, Jesus says. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. How messed up do you have to be religiously to announce when you're going to give stuff to the poor? Like, well, we tend to do it to these days too, don't we? We make sure we get the shot for Instagram. We make sure that we tell people what, what we've done. And listen, there's, there's, it's not like that's all bad because people need to know what, what needs to be done and what should be done. But I think we got to mess, we got we to gotta be careful that that's not the reason we do it. Look what he says in verse two. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. First thing I want you to see in this passage is Jesus wants to move past our actions and get to our motives. That's what he's interested in in your life. He wants to get down on the inside of you. He wants to get to your motives. You know how he, um, he talks about this left-hand, right-hand thing? There's something really powerful. How do, you, how do you not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? That seems like a kind of a difficult statement for us to embrace. Like we don't know how to, how do you do it? Well, here's what I think he means. You ever ended up driving somewhere and you arrived at your destination, but then you have no memory of how you actually got there? Yes. You think to yourself, did I beam myself here? No. What happened was you knew the way to get there and it was ingrained in you. You'd done it so many times, like my, the distance between my house and the church. I've driven it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It's in me. I know where to go. I know how to get there and I don't have to think about it. What Jesus is saying to us in this passage is he wants the kind of people who will not have to think too hard about the reflex action of serving others and giving to the poor and taking care of the needy. That it is because of their character that they do it, not because of some external force that's making them. Jesus is saying, when you do that in secret, when you do that secretly, he sees it. Even if nobody else sees it. He sees your motivation. He sees you're trying to please him. He sees what you're trying to do to touch that person. And there's tremendous reward. Now, listen, there's another reward in that passage. And the reward is the praise of men, the applause of men. And Jesus says, if you want that reward, you can have it. Have a great time. But he says there's another reward. There's a different reward. 
It's a heavenly reward. It's something beyond what we can receive here and now. Because Jesus is interested in our character, not just the activity or the ritual seen by others. Keep going in the passage. Matthew 6, 5 through 8. Verse 5 through 8, he says, "When When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. He says it again. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who, is, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The thing I want you to get from this little short passage, number two, is Jesus wants us to be in life what we are in prayer. He wants us to be in life what we are in prayer. What we are in our prayer life, He wants us to be that in our our external life. What we are in our external life, He wants us to reflect that in prayer. and And He's saying here that He wants an exclusive relationship. Like like a your spouse or like your boyfriend. Like he doesn't want you play in the field. He he's exclusive. He's interested in a relationship with you personally. He wants to know the very deepest desires of your heart. And here's the truth. He already knows what you need. He already knows what you need. What he wants is for your desires to line up with his desires of what you need most. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is lining that up. We talked about that this week with dangerous prayers and lining up our desires with his, his desires. And, and, and I think this is such a big deal because he doesn't want us to have two different realities, a, a, a secret life with him and, and, and then a, a, um, a, where we go out into the world and act any old way we want to. He was talking specifically, actually, in this example about the Pharisees who acted spiritual. And this is more what happens to us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We act really good externally in front of other people because we want to be seen as good people. We, wanna, we, we, we don't want people to think we're, we're not good. So we hide our imperfections. We act really nice. And then behind the scenes, we do things that are really disappointing to Jesus. We mistreat others, or we, or we do things that really destroy our own selves by our habits, by our addictions. I want you to see that Jesus is trying to get us to live one reality and not two. Fuse them together. Don't, don't worry about the words you use. Worry about what's in your heart. You'll get better at using the words in prayer. Jesus is interested in what's going on in your heart. He wants what's inside to be outside. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. We kind of finish this little section with this. He continues to go on, and I want you to realize this. Jesus is saying this three different times, like he's emphasizing it. He's emphasizing something for our purpose, for our lives, for our benefit, He says in verse 16, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. There he says it again. You can have that reward if you want it. Good luck. 
But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is emphasizing something here in each of these examples. And so the third thing I want you to see is Jesus wants to have the only opinion that really matters. Jesus wants to have the only opinion that really matters in your life. See, what he's doing is he's contrasting the opinions of others with his opinion. When you get alone with him, he wants to reveal his opinions to you. And then he wants you to live those out and not be worried about anybody else's opinion. Don't be worried about whatever everybody else thinks. Don't, don't, don't worry about what other people think you are. This is the power of a secret life. This is the significance of a secret hidden life with him, a reality that begins to spill out of the inside and into your outside world. And, and, and that's largely the process of Christian maturity, of spiritual growth. Is It is the process of growing what's in here with this hidden life and secret life and secret prayers and, and secret engagement with God begins to flow out of your life out of your thoughts, out of your attitudes, out in your actions. That's what we want. That's what Jesus wanted. And here's the thing. Here's the truth. The truth is all secrets, all secrets are revealed. All secrets get revealed. Look at Luke 12, 1 through 3. Jesus began to speak to his first disciples saying, be on your guard against the use of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, right? And this is the human condition. We're so predisposed to hypocrisy, aren't we? It's so easy to get into because we value the opinions of others so much. Number two, there's, but verse two says, there is nothing concealed, Jesus says, that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the inner rooms in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops look the reason jesus wants us to have a secret life with him is because he wants to root out all the stuff all the hidden junk from from our lives because listen the devil values secrets too the devil values the kingdom of darkness values secrets secrets of addiction, secrets of mistreatment of others, secrets of doing the, the wrong thing, of violating others, even violating your own self. The devil loves to make you think that you can get away with those things and never be discovered. It's not true. Every secret will ultimately come out. Every secret will ultimately come out. I don't say that to scare you. What I'm saying is Jesus, wants you and I to develop a habit of secrecy with him so that all that other stuff gets rooted out. All that other stuff gets, gets, begins to be uh, pushed out of our hearts and our soul and our mind. And if we don't cultivate the eating of healthy spiritual food every day with Jesus, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble. One set of secret life secrets make our lives healthy and whole. The other set of secrets start to lead us down a very terrible path where we're, we're going to end up trapped. And then at just the right time, the secrets that are really embarrassing and so hurtful to ourselves and to others are going to be revealed. Listen, Jesus wants to rescue you from that. That's why this one thing, this idea of being with Jesus every day, this idea of cultivating a life with God that is so important to you, it's so significant because God wants to save you from all that junk.
And that's why the one thing must be consistent, it must be relational, it must be life-giving, this secret place of prayer and Bible reading, it has a reward. It has a reward, let me, let me help you understand how good this reward is. It's a greater feeling than just like, like, oh, I feel good about myself. No, there's a reward in it. And you know what the reward is that Jesus talks about? The reward, the reward of this one thing is God himself. God himself. I want you to realize how good that is. I know it's hard sometimes, but to do this, we ha it has to be practical. It has to be doable, it has to be measurable. And I wanna talk about that briefly here at the end. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Here's what we can learn from Jesus. Three things, we, he, he had a certain time, he had a certain place, and he had a certain plan. He did it often. A certain time, a certain place, a certain plan. Jesus got up early in the morning. That's one of the best things I think we can do. Get up early in the morning, start your day with him. Make a daily appointment with God and keep it. It's a discipline, it's an exercise. It's cultivating hunger for him. Some people have trouble doing it at morning, do it at night, that's cool too. Do it at night, what I do, what I do is I do, I try to do it in the morning and at night. So I know if I miss one, I got the other. I think it's so incredible when you realize you start to make a habit of this. That's why I advocate the daily Bible reading, how important it is. Have a dedicated time that you just focus on Jesus, not just when you're, in, not just multitasking. We all know from the brain science that multitasking is kind of a figure, figment of our imagination. Give God dedicated time. Make an appointment and keep it. A certain place, you gotta plan it. Where are you gonna do that? How is it gonna be? You gotta, your prayer place needs to be a place that's in an undistracted environment, or else you will get distracted. <laughs> I promise you, you, put, you gotta put your phone somewhere else, or you gotta turn off notifications, or you have to, you have to find a, a place that's, that's really closed in like a closet, and that's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, go to your closet, go to the inner room, and there's something so powerful about that. And, and I find that people love closed in spaces where they can get really personal with God or they like wide open spaces out in creation. And both of those work. But you gotta choose the place. You gotta choose the undistracted, undistracted place. And here's the secret, repetition and routine. Repetition and routine of, of the time and the place are building blocks for spiritual growth and maturity. This is what this is what it is. This is cultivating the right hunger. It's like muscle memory with basketball. You ever play basketball? Those guys dribbling and shooting, dribbling and shooting, dribbling and shooting for years and years and years on end. And as they begin to shoot more and shoot more and practice and practice, muscle memory kicks in. They're not even thinking about it. It's just happening and the shots are going in. Listen, this is what Jesus has in mind for us. This is why every day praying, being with Jesus, cultivating hunger for him, is so significant because ultimately it becomes just part of who you are. And then finally, a certain plan. You gotta go in with a plan. If the plan changes, that's fine. And I, I find that I need different plans in different seasons of my life. And so the one-year Bible, the devotionals, I'm a big fan of it. And so uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make sure you have a bunch of resources to do devotionals, to do Bible readings, and to do prayer. And I'm gonna make sure it's on onechapel.com slash prayer. Onechapel.com slash prayer. I want you to go there. I want you to look at it. I want you to get a plan. I want you to get a plan together. And it's not enough. It's not enough to seek God the first week of the year. 
We got to make this into a lifestyle, and that means we have to make it practical. That means we have to understand what we're doing here and why we're doing it. It means we have to we have to really get into the habit here this month in January, then next month in February, then next month in March, and so that by September, October, there is something that's been churning and growing. This could be the best year of your life if it's the best year spiritually. I want you to do it. Make it practical. Make it count. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We ask you to put it down on the inside of us. This isn't a message really about, about the emotion of it or, or the feeling of it. It's really about the practical nature of it and the motivation behind what we're trying to do. Lord, would you give every person the motivation? We wanna please you, we wanna do the right thing. Help us, Lord, to cultivate this with our lives, with our hearts, with our minds, with our friends, with our family, with our community. Help us to become the people you want us to be so that we will seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness so that all the other things, we don't have to worry about them, all the other stuff in our life begins to work itself out because you're in charge of it. I thank you for this and I th we thank you for this today. Do this in us, call us out, lead us on in Jesus' name, amen.